Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. I'm actually really excited today. For those of you that don't know me, I am the student ministries pastor here at Shoreline Community Church, and I am so excited to talk to you guys about something very near and dear to my heart, and that is outreach. Um, I've worked in a lot of positions over my time uh, since graduating college over the last 11 years, and most of them are in the secular realm. And so a lot of my relationships, a lot of my friendships have come through the non-Christian sector. Um, so today I wanted to talk about how do we do outreach well? How do we do relationship? How do we connect? What does that look like? And to begin this conversation, I wanted to ask you guys to really think about a question that I ask myself a lot. And it's this question of, have you ever felt you needed a new start? You know, like sometimes we get so bogged down in life and we get so busy in the daily practice of serving God that sharing our story, being vulnerable, trying to create those connections seems like more than we can do. And we just are like, okay, how do we deal with this? And, or maybe you're on the other end and you've tried and you failed miserably, because let's be honest, we're all human. It happens at one point or another. And you say, you know what? The pain of that and the fear of that is too great. So I'm going to let that dream or that calling that I feel God gave me just go. And I'm going to do the safe thing. And so what that means is you blend in, you stay quiet, you don't make waves because that seems way safer than stepping out in faith. And maybe I'm the only one, but this is a struggle I have with on the daily because let's be honest, I'm not a big public speaker, which is ironic, I know, as a pastor. So that's not lost on me. Um, but today I want us to look at three stories that I think really help us look at how do we engage well. Um, and I want us to look at what Jesus does in each of these stories because I know it kind of buries the lead for a minute, but I promise they will tie together. Um, but the first one we're going to talk about is in John 21, and we're going to talk about the disciples when they go fishing at, uh, at the Sea of Galilee. And then we're going to go to Luke 19, and we're going to talk about Zacchaeus. And then we're going to close out in John 4 with the woman at the well. But to begin our first story, I want us to focus on our first point which is that God is calling us to do things differently than how we've done before, but not abandon that calling. And that can be really scary. And I think we see this idea presented beautifully in John 21. Because in John 21, we're, we're given the story of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And to give context, they are going out and they're going fishing. And John 21, for history purposes, comes after John 20. I know everyone is shocked right now that that's the case, but bear with me. Um, and in John 20, what we have is the story <clears throat> excuse me, of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And in John 21, he appears to the disciples after they've watched him be crucified, and he shows them that he has been resurrected, and he says, I, you will see me a few more times before I ascend into heaven. So when John 21 takes place, the disciples are in this waiting period, right? Like they, they are trying to figure out what to do. They're kind of feeling lost. That call on their life that God had placed for them to be fishers of men was so strong when Jesus was physically present with them. 
But now they've watched him being crucified and struggle, and it's just kind of like, how do I move forward? Right? Who here has ever had a dream, and you just feel like that dream got crushed after a while? Like it, You were so certain, and then you're like, God, where are you? Right? And so the disciples do what we all do, which I love the disciples because I think they are a perfect example of humanity. They do what we all do when we feel lost, and what that is is they go back to what they know. They go back to what's comfortable. So while Jesus isn't physically present with them, they go fishing because they were fishermen before they were Jesus's fisher of men. Um, And so John notes that the disciples have been out all night fishing and have not caught anything. Now, can we just for a moment pause and say how like defeating that has to be? Because you're like, okay, I just watched the person I've been following be crucified and he's raised from the dead and that's awesome, but I don't know when I'm going to see him again. So I'm going to do what I do really well. And then you go out and do what you do really well, and it just fails, like it falls apart. And so if I'm the disciples, I'm just probably going to be like, God, what are you doing in this moment? Like, I was so sure. So they can't catch anything. They're they're feeling kind of hopeless. And even they now know, like, the thing they've always been good at isn't working for them, right? And from a ways off, John tells us that a man on the shore, which as the audience we know is Jesus, but the disciples don't yet because they can't recognize him because he's a ways off and he's been gone for a while, um, calls to them and sends them instructions on what they do. And we're going to look at that in this. So it says in verse 5 and 6, Jesus called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, why is this of all, all the verses, the verse that the verses that I chose to focus on? Why do I think this is important? I think this verse matters because what Jesus is asking the disciples to do in this moment is to go back out and try again, but in a way that would be different uncomfortable, and even would make no sense. Because historically, in those time, uh, in that time, fishermen had been apprenticed. And as they had been apprenticed, they had been taught that when you go out and you fish, you throw your net on your left side. Because once you catch fish, you can lean on your right side or your stronger arm to pull up your net in a way that would allow you to not lose any fish. And so when Jesus calls to them and he says, here's the way you do it. Do it the opposite of what you've been taught. Do it this way. And they follow those instructions. To them, it's not going to make any sense at all. And they're going to say, "Mm." but despite all of that, they follow what he says. And we know from the story that they catch more fish than they could have ever imagined. And see, the disciples had to be willing to try in a new way. They had to be willing and open to say, okay, you know what you're doing, so I'm just going to trust. Who here has ever struggled with trust? Like, let's be honest, I'm having that moment today. I'm going to be real transparent with (laughs) y'all. Because it can be uncomfortable and painful. And none of us like that painful feeling, but in that painful feeling, we grow. Right? We grow in, in in who Jesus has called us to be. And see, here's what I love about Jesus, and we have to recognize in this first story, 
that while Jesus asks us to do things that are new or uncomfortable or may not make sense, he doesn't just say, okay, here's your new instructions, mic drop, I'm out, I'm going to bounce, I'll see y'all later, right? Like he says, he says, here's your instructions, I'm going to give you next steps, and then he models that in our following two stories to show us how we do that, right? And Jesus gives us instructions on how to accomplish that calling of what he's calling us to do, much like he did with the disciples. He gave them specifics, and then he said, here's how you are successful, and he stays with them and, and as they put those instructions into action. And when he does that, it shows them and gives them peace, right? And we have to understand that Jesus is calling us today to do the same thing in terms of the people that are in our life. And I'm not just talking the people that you're like, okay, these are my friends, or these are my people that I love to interact with. I'm talking about the people that wherever you plant your foot, that is your mission field. That is what God is calling and placing before you. And so the question we have to do, much like the disciples, the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I willing to be uncomfortable? Am I willing to say, okay, God, this is going to be painful and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to believe that it's going to be better, right? And so I think we have to understand that today as we see that in our next two stories. And looking at our next story, we see that Jesus demonstrates something very important for us and we need to implement it in our own life and it's our next point, which is Jesus didn't let culture or society around him change who he reached out to. Okay, so what do I mean by that? A great example of this is Jesus's interaction in Luke 19 with the story of Zacchaeus. Now, if you're me, you think of the kids' church song from years ago about Zacchaeus, and you can say the whole thing. As I was practicing this sermon, I will be honest, my husband started singing that song in the kitchen as I was speaking out loud to our dog. But for those that may not know the story of Zacchaeus, um, it's in Luke 19, 1 through 10. And to briefly summarize, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector in the town of Jericho. And what Luke tells us is that he is despised. Now, why is he despised? Um, he is despised because historically in those days, tax collectors would overtax their people. And they would overtax them what they owed. And the extra money that came in from that overtaxation, the chief tax collectors would keep for themselves. So Luke notes that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector, and he's a very wealthy man, but he is despised by his entire community. Now, Jesus is coming through Jericho, and Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming. And so he says, I must meet and see him. And so Zacchaeus goes out into the town of Jericho, and Jesus is passing through the town, and he gets to where Jesus is, and there's a massive crowd all around him, right? And so because there's so many people, Zacchaeus cannot see Jesus. And you can bet Jesus cannot see Zacchaeus. And because it's the people in town, you can bet they're not going to move out of the way for him, right? Because they just don't care. And so Zacchaeus says, I must at least see him. So he finds a sycamore tree nearby, and he climbs up that tree to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he passes by. And as he's climbing the tree, he gets to the top, and Jesus comes passing by, and he looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus, 
You must come down. I must go to your house today. All right? And Luke, I love Luke because Luke is so like bare bones, doesn't pull any punches. And he says, Zacchaeus is so shocked that he responds and says, I'm going to give half my money to the poor and pay back every person that I have ever cheated, right? What they're owed. Now, first off, that's a big deal. Like, let's recognize that even today, that would be a pretty big deal. Um, But the people in town are not impressed. And so Luke notes that the community around Jesus says, who is this that he would hang out with a sinner? Because to go to someone's house means I'm going to have relationship with you. I'm going to have connection. I care about you. I see value in you. And I love Jesus because he just kind of lays it down. And he says in verse 10, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And that's kind of the story I want us to focus on. And I love this story because I think at one point or another in our life, we have all been Zacchaeus, right? Like we don't quite fit and we are looking for a community to belong and we know we've made mistakes in our life and we let those mistakes hold us back from being able to accept love or find community, right? And there are people outside these doors, there are people also inside these doors, but there are people outside these doors that need to know they are loved and they matter and that all of these things that they can come and find community. So what I want us to talk about is how, if we're honest, who of us hasn't felt that way? Who of us hasn't felt like, okay, I don't belong here, or I'm not going to be welcome here, or whatever that looks like? And if you really want this on a grander scale, talk to any student in this current generation, because because the three questions they're looking to answer for themselves is, who am I, where do I belong, and what is my purpose? And if you talk to any student in this time, they are looking to feel accepted and belong and seen, right? And so the turning point in this entire story is our verse here today, which is Luke 19, 5, and I love what it says. Um, And we're going to look at the wording a little bit closely, but it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So, what does Jesus do that is so life-changing in this interaction, this brief interaction, that Zacchaeus is willing to change his entire life, right? Let's look at what Jesus models. So first, we see that Zacchaeus sees, or Jesus sees Zacchaeus. It's not by accident. It's not by happenstance. The exact wording specifically says he looked up, right? He sees him, and if, if someone looks at you and can see past what everyone else says and see past the facade and the bravado, there's something really beautiful in being seen by someone. Um, next, we know that he calls Zacchaeus by name, meaning Zacchaeus, he knows him. He knows who he is. He knows his story. Think how humbling that must be for Zacchaeus. And as I mentioned earlier, the people surrounding Zacchaeus and Jesus, they respond as well. But look at the difference in their response. They grumble. They're angry. They don't want to be associated with someone like that. And if we're honest, and I'm just going to be honest, how many of us know people who feel that way within the Christian church? They step foot 
And they're like, I'm a sinner. I won't belong here. I have friends who I've invited to church who are not Christians, if I'm honest, who will say, if I step inside, will I catch on fire? (laughs) Because of what they've experienced in the past from relationships. There's hurt. There's a history there. So are we being intentional to change that? And, And so Jesus ends that with saying, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. Now, here's why Jesus' approach is so different, and there are three things we can learn. First, Jesus observed those around him, but he let the Spirit direct his attention. And what do I mean by that? Many times in our culture, we look at the outward. We look at the external. We, if we're honest, we'll say people are made up of the sum of their parts. If you dress this way, if you speak this way, if you raise your hand at this time in worship— then you belong. But a lot of times what we see is Jesus had a heart that was so softened to the Spirit of God that he allowed the Spirit to direct who he was meant to reach out to. Because let's be honest, the people in that community, in that crowd, are going to be the religious elite. They're going to be the people that would be welcomed into a church community. They're going to be those people. And so what I think Jesus does beautifully and what we need to learn is can we keep our hearts softened to the Spirit of God to allow him to to direct our attention and allow him to direct our approach and response? Second, Jesus valued those who didn't quite fit. And he sees Zacchaeus. In fact, the Bible notes that he looked up. Now, why is this important? It's important because to be seen by someone can change your life. And I can tell you, and I promised myself I would not cry on this, um, and I can tell you that firsthand. Because from the time I was born until I was 24, my mom would tell my sisters and I every morning, you are loved, you matter, you are made by God with a purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. And I, my mom has been gone for eight years now, and I wake up every day and say that to myself, but I also say it to our daughter that we are expecting. Because to be seen and to be loved, and I can tell you firsthand, can change your life. It can direct the way with which you go. And so what I want us to ask ourselves is, are we seeing people? And I mean really seeing people, not just noticing or glancing. Jesus stops everything and calls Zacchaeus by name. And he says, I made you. And I want to be with you. And I'm going to take time for you. And I have friends who are not Christian who the moment I said, hey, would you like to come for dinner? We can, we can watch this movie or we can play this board game. Just the fact that I took time was like, why would you take time for me? Because they have not been valued or loved or respected before in that manner, especially from someone who is a follower of Jesus. And so what we, we see in Zacchaeus and in this interaction is his heart has changed by being seen and valued. His life has changed because being loved meant so much he goes above and beyond what the law requires. In fact, he gives half of his wealth to the poor and pays back every person he is owed. And the interesting part of that is that is four times the requirement of what the law would have required for him to be forgiven. But because being loved and seen and valued and heard is more important than any amount of money, he happily gives it. So what are we doing 
today. Third, Jesus invited him to coffee and a meal. And if you've been to SCC for any amount of time, you know that coffee, thank you, Pastor Dwayne, and food is a huge part of our culture. Um, and you know that because what happens when you go to coffee? You sit down with someone and you get below the surface. And in those days, if you met with someone and in their house and shared a meal, it meant something. It wasn't just, oh, we, we're going to have food, right? Like, it was, I'm taking time for you. I care more about that five-minute conversation, and I don't care what anyone would say about my reputation, right? And that's important because today, how many of us do the same thing? How many of us are willing to share a meal and break bread and hear people's hearts over their words? Because that's what God calls us to do. That's what he's asking us to do. In fact, my husband and some of the students joke that my top love language is food. And that you know I love you if I cook you a meal. Like when you come to youth, um, I always have a snack bowl and sodas. and everything. Because when do people share their heart? It's over food. It's over coffee. It's in community together taking time, showing intention. And we need to do that, that same thing. Because in spending time together... Our hearts are changed. And I believe a major component of that interaction that Jesus does has to deal with what we see in our third and final story. And we can learn it with this, um, which is Jesus changed his approach based on the person and their story, but he didn't water down the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? We're going to look at this through John 4, and it's the story of the woman at the well. And it's a story some of you may have heard or know. It's a story I really enjoy. But to begin, Jesus is traveling through the Judean countryside, and he's headed to the town of Galilee. And he decides to separate off from his disciples, and he's going to go through Samaria. Now, this in and of itself is a very different thing than most people would do because Jesus is Jewish, and in Samaria, the people are Samaritan. And Samaritans are a people group that are comprised of half Jew and half Gentile, but both Jews and Gentiles despised them. So for Jesus to purposefully take a route towards a people group that is uncomfortable is already like, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? Let's be honest. Um, but he stops at Jacob's well on the way there. And as he's there, he meets a woman, a Samaritan woman that's there alone. And she's drawing water, and he asks her, for a drink. And she responds, as John tells us, shocked. She's like, how can you ask me for a drink? And she says that for a variety of reasons. First, he is a man and she is a woman, and they do not interact as individuals typically in that time and culture alone. Second, he is Jewish and she is a Samaritan. And as I said, they don't interact either. But third, he knows that this woman is a woman with a past and a story, and that she has come at this time to this well alone, not by accident, but she's come to avoid people. So we're going to look at the verse, which is in John 4, 5 through 6. It says, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that, sorry, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
noon, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, what we know from history is that noon at that time in Samaria would have been the hottest part of the day. And women usually would go to the well together in groups early in the morning or late in the evening to avoid the heat and for protection. They'd go together for protection. But this woman comes at a time when she knows other, others won't be around. And Jesus knows there is more to this woman and her story than needing physical water, right? Because Jesus knows all, anyway, let's be honest. And <laughs> he begins a conversation with her about water because she says, how can, you, uh, how can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus begins to say, if you knew who asked you, you would know that he gives living water, that the God, the God of the universe will end this living water in eternal life right? And Jesus provides this conversation, and she begins to ask him for this living water. Now, the other thing we notice is that Jesus doesn't pull any punches when it comes to the gospel and truth, but he approaches it with love first. He balances grace and truth together. And his approach is completely different than what she has experienced before, Because let's be honest, she knows her story, she knows her mistakes, she knows what she's done, and she's probably, if if we're being candid, had people remind her day after day that she is not welcome, doesn't fit, doesn't belong, right? But Jesus guides her to share her story herself, and it says in John 4, 16 through 18, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you live with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And see, in this moment, we learn that this woman very quickly, she comes to this well every time at this day alone because she's been married five times and she's currently living with a boyfriend that she's not married to. And this, in that time, would have brought immense shame, guilt. She would have felt othered. So it would be, you're not good enough, you're less than, you have no value, um, all of these things. And so she's not accepted by her own people, which is why she's here now in this moment. And what Jesus does here is he allows her to share her story. He doesn't go to her and say, okay, I know who you are, and I know what you did, Let's just do this, A, B, C, here are all your mistakes, right? He says, go and get your husband. Now, what is Jesus doing in that moment? He is affording her the space to share her story with vulnerability. Because what do we find? When we are vulnerable and someone else is vulnerable and we look for a commonality, we build connection rather than just judgment. And so Jesus is hearing her heart and seeing her need before providing any feedback, any commentary. And this approach is different than what she has had done previously, what she's had others do. Jesus is divinely intentional. He's divinely intentional in the route he takes to get there. He's divinely intentional in how he interacts with her, how he speaks with her, what he says. Okay? And we are called to do the same with our posture and our approach. 
So the question I want us to ask ourselves within this is when we interact with people right now, when we're at the grocery store or we're even at our job, are we being divinely intentional? Are we taking that time to say, you know what, God, I'm going to let your spirit guide me and direct me, and may the words that I speak be from you and not from myself? And are we, or are we just doing it to check that box? Okay, I said that I'm a Christian. Let's move on for the day. Because let's be honest, for lasting impact, what we see from Jesus time and time again is you have to be intentional. You have to take time. Because who of us doesn't like when someone takes time for us? Like, who of us doesn't like that at all? So there are four things in Jesus' approach that we're going to talk about very quickly. First, Jesus saw her and didn't make her feel othered. He speaks to her with grace and respect, and he actively seeks after her, despite already knowing her story. The fact that he stops and takes time and cares for her shows a a level of respect that, let's be honest, she probably hasn't had from anyone before that. And I'm betting in this room, we all know someone who has felt othered out in our area, out in our cities, out in our workplaces where they say, I'm just not going to fit if I step into a church. I'm not going to fit because of my mistakes or the perceived ideas of us versus them or the perceived ideas of I'm just, I'm a sinner, right? But Jesus acknowledges her value in the way he speaks to her. Second, Jesus' attitude wasn't one of judgment, which is what she's used to. He heard her heart over her words. He speaks to her with this, with this grace, right? And he speaks with truth and love, but he listens for her answers. And he seeks to understand that there's more going on than below, below the surface. He listens to what her heart is saying. And that breaks down shame and guilt that when he tells her, yeah, you're right, this is your story, she immediately responds with opening her heart to the truth of God. See, here's the thing about being heard. I've heard it said that being heard is so close to being loved, and that I think it's the next, that's the next slide, but being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, being heard and being loved are viewed the same. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we listening and are we loving? Or are we just listening so we can get the next response out and say why we're right? Because I'll be honest, if you ask my husband, I love to be right. He will tell you. We, like, we will make bets over like candy bars and date nights because I want to win so bad. And I'm stubborn, which really worries me about this little girl in here. But <laughs> we all love to be right. We all are ready to just tell people, no, here's where you're wrong. Right? And we need to think about that. We need to think about what our heart is doing and what God is asking us to do and work with us on. Um, Next, Jesus asked open-ended questions and made open-ended statements to encourage dialogue. What does that mean? He doesn't just go, are you a sinner, yes or no? Have you done this, this, and this, yes or no? And why does that matter? Because when someone asks us yes or no questions, let's be honest, we all know they don't really want to know. Like they just want a quick in and out and tell you what you've done wrong. But Jesus makes the statement, and he says, rather than coming out right with her past, he's intentional to encourage that dialogue. He says, go get your husband. 
knowing what her answer is going to be, and then he intentionally cares when she has more to say. And he affords her that opportunity to verbalize that part herself. He doesn't steal it from her, right? And I am the, I will be honest on this, I am the biggest, like, issue with this because I think I know what someone's going to say and I'll finish a sentence before they have finished and they'll be like, that's not what I was going to say. And, <laughs> and I say that because I do it to my husband all the time and it bothers him, but we all do it, right? At some point or another, we all think we know what someone's going to say and we finish it so we can share the mind-blowing informational thing that we know. When maybe what God is saying is, hey, I want you to hold back and listen. I want you to listen to their heart and listen to what they say, and then listen to my spirit so I can direct you on what you should say. Because a lot of times it's easy to say, oh, I know how to respond to this, but maybe God has a response that you would never even plan. Uh, Some of my best conversations I've ever had with people that are not followers of Jesus have started with, do you realize that your pain and my pain is the same? Because I've heard their stories And even though we may be on opposite ends of faith, the the stories that they have align so much with what I've been through that God provides that connection. And it's in that that we form relationships. Finally, Jesus trusted God to work in her. He trusted God's work in her. He didn't just say blatantly, okay, this is on me, right? Like Jesus demonstrates to her that she can be honest with God about her past and still be loved and accepted as long as she's willing to accept God's grace and ask for forgiveness. The interaction allows her to recognize that life with Jesus is more than she could ever have alone right now, right? And she is so overcome by this conversation that John tells us she goes out immediately after hearing this and saying, could he be the Messiah, and goes to her town, the people that have despised her, and says, come meet this man. You have to meet him. He told me my entire history, and he could be the Messiah. And what's funny is the disciples have spent years traveling with him and seeing him, and it takes them many more miracles before they're willing to say the same thing and declare it out loud. But for this one woman, that interaction is different. So today, as the band comes back up, I want us to think about our stories. I want us to think about how we have to be willing to try again, to reach out in relationship in new ways, to reach out in ways that God is directing us, knowing that God won't leave us without instructions and next steps and doors opening. That as we saw with Zacchaeus and the woman at the well, Jesus is divinely intentional and takes every opportunity, and are we doing the same thing? Because let's be honest, our mission field is wherever we plant our foot outside these doors. And so that's your workplace, that's your grocery store. Mine, if I'm honest, one of my favorite ones is the aisle of the St. Vincent de Paul. I used to live a block from there for five years, and every Saturday I would go and talk to the employees and tell them, who I am, where I go to church, how can I be praying for you? And now I don't get to go as much because we don't live in uh, Kenmore anymore. But anytime I walk in, they come up and go, Tiff, here's the things that are going on in my life. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you can be praying for. Now, for a lot of people, that, that's not the idea of a mission field. But God is sending us out into the mission field, and it may not look like what we are expecting. 
So as we close, I want us to think, how does this apply to us? Because we all have people in our lives. Let's be honest, we all have people that God is calling us to reach. So here are some helpful tips, and I want us to think about this as we close out and um, as we prepare for communion and prayer um, and everything else. Just that, are we spending time with God? Are we recognizing his voice? Are we learning to hear his spirit? I tell the students a lot of times, we need to take time for silence and solitude. Because if we take time alone and we quiet ourselves, in my experience, God will fill that space. And in that time with him, we learn to recognize his voice. Second, are we aware of who God has walking beside us? Or are we keeping our eyes on the periphery and not looking up and at the fringes? Because it's convenient to look at what's before you. It takes intention and care to look beyond that. So are we looking for those people? Are we covering them in prayer and praying for them even if we've never spoken to them? Are we taking that time? Are we inviting them into our lives even when it may seem uncomfortable? For me, some of my greatest relationship moments have been in saying, do you want to go see this movie with me? Do you want to come over for dinner? Do you want to paint or draw pictures for kids at the Shoreline Arts Festival as our church volunteers? Right? And, and they have joined in because that relationship has been formed. Are we praying for them but asking them, how can I be praying for you? Because there's a difference between praying for someone by yourself and asking someone with intention, how can I be praying for you, right? Asking them, showing you care, showing you see their need, you know? And then finally, are we celebrating God's answers? Are we verbalizing what we need? And then when God answers it, are we sharing how he showed up? Because unless we're willing to share, this is really how God shows up in my life and be vulnerable with what we were needing, why would they do the same? So I'm going to close out and we're going to pray and then I believe the worship team is going to take over. But I just want us to be thinking about these questions throughout this week and just thinking about how can I better reach out to my community? How can I serve them? How can I love them? How can I connect? Because that's what we're here for. Just because it looks different than how it used to be doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just uncomfortable in the moment. But we can move past that, right? So, dear Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to share this message. I thank you, God, for this community, God, that we are a place to belong before you believe. And God, as we go out into our community and into our world, that we would carry that message with us. God, that, th that you are a place to belong. God, you are a place that we can lay all of our stuff at your feet and we can find a home in you and acceptance and love and forgiveness. God, that we would put these things into practices and trust your instructions even when they don't make sense and that you would just give us the courage and the bravery to be vulnerable and find relationship and connection. That we would look up and beyond the periphery and we would see those who are in need and we would listen to their hearts over their words. I thank you, God, for this community and for all that you are asking us to do and this call that we do not let die out, but we adjust our posture for. 
In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord calls us to do uncomfortable things, but that's, we grow in our discomfort, right? You know, we're known for gardening here in the Northwest. One of the first things you've got to do is you've got to break up the ground. You've got to till the ground. You've got to add some things that are uncomfortable to add sometimes to get it to grow and to get it to develop. But it's in the midst of that. Those uncomfortable things, pulling the weeds out, doing that, throwing the net on the other side of the boat. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't tell them to move their boat 20 miles away. He said, no, just go to the other side. You're going to use muscles you haven't used as much. You're going to do things that are different. You're going to have to trust me in this. There are things that make sense, and there are things that were like, Lord, by faith, I, I'm following you. I'm trusting you. I believe that's a word for so many of us. That Can we just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit and speak and say, what is that area of discomfort that you're, you're leading me in? What's, what are some uncomfortable things that I need to do? Maybe to me, maybe it's not even in going out and talking to somebody right now, but it's, Lord, that work that you've got to do that... You've got to break up some of the hardness. You've got to pull some of the weeds out of my life. You've got to help me, Lord, to strengthen muscles that I haven't used before. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Where are those areas you're calling us to go? It doesn't even involve moving the boat. It's just, it's how we operate. It's listening to you. It's being attentive. It's opening our home. It's calling somebody up by name. It's knowing their name. It's learning how to ask open-ended questions. It's all those things that you reminded of us today. Lord, what are you calling us to do? Speak, Lord, your servants. We are listening. Amen. Is that your heart? Just pray that. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Can we say that together? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And, Lord, may we not just be hearers of the word but doers. So, Lord, empower us and show us as we walk being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think one of, the, one, of the, one of the most powerful things that Jesus said is he said, you'll do even greater things. I mean, you read the Bible and you see crazy things. Walking on water, raising people from the dead, having those divine words, that discernment. And as followers of Christ, Jesus told us, you'll do even greater things. And he, and he said, now go wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, for the next three weeks, we're starting a new series called Below the, the Surface the, for the first three weeks of this, we're going to be focusing on the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you even now to be thinking about, Lord, what would you have me do? Because for some, that generates excitement, and for some, they've seen people use the Holy Spirit to justify how they really wanted to behave and say, this is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take three weeks and really break it down and invite the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. If we're going to walk in the way that Jesus wants us to walk in this culture that is so confused about who Jesus is, as has so many, so many wrong perceptions. We need to be people, men and women, filled and led by the Holy Spirit, grace and truth. Amen? How many of you are hungry and you're saying, Lord, use me in this way? Just lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, would you use me? Would you fill me? Would you empower me? Would you equip me? Would you enable me? I pray in your name. Amen. 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 Pastor Tiffany, great word of the Lord. Awesome. So powerful. So, so powerful. And, uh, and, you know, I think that there was a lot of nerves and things going into this. And, and, and just as an encouragement to you as well as to everyone else, oftentimes when you take great steps for the Lord and you're leading in, often the greater the opposition, the greater the victory on the other side. It's been my experience, you know. 
And so thank you for being willing to step up. Can we pray for Pastor Tiffany? She's less than a month away from your due date. I'm not trying to send you to labor right now, but... <laughs> But can you just extend your hands towards Pastor Tiffany? Can we pray for her now? She's just less than a month away for this beautiful daughter. Father, we thank you for this gift, gift of life that's already alive. She's alive. You know her. You've been forming her. You've been putting so much into her, Lord, this baby, even in the womb. Lord, we know you. So, Lord, we pray for this little precious baby, this gift of life. And, Lord, we pray for mom and dad today, Lord, for Daniel, for Tiffany, God, that you would guard their hearts, guard their minds with peace, that you would keep them safe, Lord, that you would watch over them, that you would, uh, even now, we know that you're preparing them, but they would rest knowing everything they need, you've provided, you have given, you've poured in, that they can walk in confidence, they can walk in peace. And God, that you would be with us, Lord, her family, as we surround them, that we would love them and support them and walk with them, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said together, amen. Starting next week, we're going to be meeting every Sunday morning, 9.30 in the fireside for weekly prayer. If you want to be a part of that, join me, 9.30. Make it super easy. I'm going to bring the coffee. Meet me at 9.30 fireside, and then we're going to be joining the team up here for prayer. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure you're part of that. Make sure you check your church center app. Lots of ways to be involved. This is our benediction. Let's say this together as we leave. It's the sun shining outside. Let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.